Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 171 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. College basketball season is finally here. I am your host this week, Sam Klein, fan of the World Series champion Washington Nationals. I was in Washington, D.C. yesterday where Donald Wine lives, right, Donald Wine? Oh, yes, and I, too, was at the parade. We didn't get to link up because there was about 45 million people, uh, uh, it seemed, on on the mall, or at least on Constitution Ave. It was a fun time, uh, and it has been a fun time to be a D.C. resident, uh, to witness everything, to witness a comeback, and just to party for the last week and a half. Look out, Fountains in Washington, D.C. The Washington Nationals are coming. Yeah, but Indeed the Red are suck. But yeah, they do. But, yeah. but Jason Evans is also here, and he's not a uh, fan of the Washington Nationals. He is, however, a Duke basketball fan, right, Jason? Uh, yes, born, bred, and will die a Duke basketball fan. So, in in the spirit of that, um, we have a ton to get to. You all might remember some of our recent episodes that were rather crisp and only had me and Donald on them. But Jason is back now, and the season preview is here. We have the traditional stats game to get to, so I'm sure as you are staring at this show in your feed that it is much, much longer than some of the more recent episodes. So guys, I would love to spend a few minutes talking about some of the very strange nightmares that I had yesterday, but we don't have time. <laughs> Let's get right to all of the all of the basketball stuff. We got great content, people. It's Tons. good stuff coming up. Yeah, if these nightmares had happened two weeks ago, Donald and I would have done like a 15-minute segment on them because they oh, were yeah. fascinating. We would have done, done that whole thing. But that being said, uh, first things first, we need to look back. Duke had its second exhibition basketball game this week uh, in Cameron Indoor. It was uh, a lot more uh, sort of standard Perhaps a better than the first one. <laughs> a little bit, a little more of what you expect out of out of an exhibition game. Uh, the Blue Devils won 126 to 57. I was at the bar um, stressing and ultimately crying about the World Series. So I am going to let Donald Wine begin here. Donald, what did you see from Duke's victory over Fort Valley State? I'm looking at a lot of stats about impressive offensive performances, particularly from Joey Baker. Absolutely. And and uh, to piggyback off of you, I watched this later. I knew the score, but I didn't see any of the game uh, because I was also watching game seven that night. But looking back at this game and, and finally watching it, Joey Baker was very impressive, especially from beyond the arc. He was six for eight from three. And, you know, we talked a lot about how our three point shooting has to improve this season. Well, Joey Baker had a great night at the office in, in that regard. So I, I really liked what I saw from him. Uh, Matthew Hurt, once again, 19 points. He would, it seemed to be uh, everywhere on the court in, in his versatility is going to be, I think, very, very important for us this year. And it was great to see him showcase that as well, or at least last Wednesday night. Uh, and Cassius Stanley had 16 points. It's going to be good. If you're going to have someone come off the bench and score points, if, if Cassius Stanley can do that, Wendell Moore, if he's not starting, um, which he, I don't believe he did this game, and uh, but came off the bench and also had a great night. If we're going to have guys come off the bench and score, we want it to come from anywhere. And Cassius Stanley, Wendell Moore, Alex O'Connell, uh, those type of guys are going to be important off the bench when they're in a bench role to really get the you know keep the motor going when the team uh, hits a lull. So I really liked what I saw from a lot of people. Uh, obviously, this was an exhibition game, but I did enjoy the offensive output that they put up. 
the story of this game is that it was 17 to nothing in less than four minutes. Um, and uh, uh, by the way, uh, this game has to rank as the least likely way for Duke to score their 100th point. Um, we're going to talk about 100-point games later on in the stat prediction game, but Duke got their 100th point in this game by Jordan Goldwire having a slam dunk where he flexed afterwards with 10 minutes remaining in the game. Jordan Goldwire dunk is like the least likely way you can score 100 points as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> it was an absolute – it was an offensive juggernaut, um, this Duke team. And, you know, mostly because of Joey Baker raining threes. And it's easy to – it's easy to think, oh, Duke was blowing them out so Baker was getting minutes because he didn't play a lot in the first exhibition game. And you really – I know a lot of people out there were worried about what Joey Baker's role would be and how many – you know, how much he'd play – sort of with the regular guys and not just with the scrubs. Uh, five out of uh, five of Joey Baker's three-pointers came in the first half. Um, he got in early and he started raining from behind the line early. And, uh, you know, for a guy who looked like he was behind Justin Robinson in the rotation, um, I, I think he really made a statement. Uh, you know, speaking of outside shooting, I, I wanted to really quick mention, um, I think Duke fans are going to love Matthew Hurt's three-pointer. Um, specifically because of his release. I, I like the way he, he he takes it very high above his head. And it's just one of those sort of effortless effortless wrist flicks that you get from from big men who who are stronger. Um, and, and I think it's something, it looked to me like the kind of shot, Hurt has a reputation as a guy who can shoot threes. It looked like a shot that is easy to repeat, easy to get off, and that we're going to see a lot of that from Hurt. Um, and I want to, I want to, Cassius Stanley's athleticism, that dude just like floats in the air and he gets to the rim with such ease. Um, and I, I mean, and he's, he's able to use that athleticism on defense also, you know, for a guy who wasn't as highly touted as the top guys in this class, man, he, uh, this, this kid looks special. I'm really looking forward to seeing him playing legit, you know, major division one athletes, um, uh, you know, from Kansas and, and, and the other schools that we play. Uh, Cause I think it's going to be very different from what we saw um, uh, against, you know, no offense, but but the guys that Duke played in the exhibitions couldn't keep up with Stanley. Um, and then the last thing is uh, Jordan Goldwire. I mean, he got the start, and his defense, you know, his ability to hound the ball is really special. I mean, he's not a good offensive player. He looked better and more confident than he did last year. But um, you know, we're gonna again, we're gonna get to this in the in the the, the prediction game, but. Jordan Goldwire as a starter doesn't seem that crazy. And man, he's he, he finds a lot of ways to contribute. So I, I thought he had an impressive game. Uh, Donald, what else What else do you want on that? And then, oh, and Sam, you got to talk as well, huh? <laughs> yeah, real quickly on Matthew Hurt, you mentioned about how effortless his, his shot became. When he committed uh, back last year, we talked about this very same thing. We mentioned how his shot was actually kind of a slower shot that he needed to improve, uh, at least the, the release of it, to get it off uh, and you know from a quicker college defense. It seems like he's adapted to that, and his shot looks just as effortless, but is getting off quicker. I think that's why he's going to be such a versatile option on the offensive end this year. Yeah, I, I think that you guys hit on a number of different players and we have talked the leading up to the season about how the rotation is going to be so fascinating this year. And this game only served to highlight that, 
right? Joey Baker was the star of the game. Jordan Jordan Goldwire produced minutes that are making Jason Evans say that he's looking forward to Jordan Goldwire starts, um, even though we're hearing that you know the, the, the freshmen are all coming along and that uh, any of them could be in line to start. And meanwhile, we have two senior captains in Javin Delorier and Jack White, who both have plenty of experience under their belt and and could expect to find starts themselves. So certainly interested to see how the starting rotation changes throughout the season and to see um, which guys end up uh, end up playing a lot of minutes versus getting um, shunted sort of to the back. Um, Jason, did you have anything else on this game? Yeah, so the last thing I wanted to say, and this is a general comment about all of the freshmen, um, all of whom look like they're going to find different ways to contribute. Um, I, I was thinking a little bit about this freshman class versus what we've seen at Duke recently. Um, I, I mean, think you know, Zion Williams and R.J. Barrett, Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum. These were all guys in the past few years who came to Duke who were capable of taking over a game from day one. And uh, as much as I like our freshman class and think these guys have a, a lot of potential, I don't see any one of them who I go, oh, that guy is going to take over games. You know, Matthew Hurd, I think, comes the closest to being someone who looks like he might be able to. But um, when you think about those guys I mentioned, every one of them, Wendell Carter went number seven, but the rest of them went in the top three in the NBA draft. And it doesn't appear that this current Duke team has anyone who – who's likely to be that much of an NBA prospect. Now, obviously, guys can be really good college players without being stud NBA prospects, but I think it's going to be very interesting to watch over the course of the season um, a Duke team that probably doesn't have – I don't think we have any lottery picks on this team. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see how how we develop and how Coach K melds a team that doesn't have elite NBA talent. I I think that probably – He's going to find an interesting way of making these parts fit together um, that that could be really compelling. And and maybe it'll be nice not to be so reliant on one or two players to take over games for us. Um, it, uh, I just think it's going to be a really interesting season, and I'm, I'm very eager for it to start. I'm not sure that Duke fans can remember all the way back to 2010, but it's not like Coach K has has doesn't have any experience doing a thing like yep. that. Exactly. And, and and we're also going to, to to tease another one of our topics coming up. We're going to talk about a bit of recruiting news later in the show. And I think that conversation, as loud as it is this year, will be even more interesting on next year's team. Let's move ahead to looking at the game that's this week. It's Duke's opening game on uh, Tuesday night. It's the Champions Classic, Madison Square Garden. Duke faces off against the Kansas Jayhawks, who had a bit of a down season last year. They didn't win the Big 12 for the first time since, like, I don't know, since I was a kid or something. And uh, But it should be a great game. The Champions Classic this year is going to pit the top four preseason AP poll teams against each other in Michigan State and Kentucky and then Duke and Kansas. So I want to look ahead and ask you guys, I'll start with Jason. Um, What do you see in this Kansas team? They have, they obviously have a lot of returning talent. Yudoka Azubuki is healthy. Um, Where, where do you see 
where do you see Kansas at the beginning of the season and how do you think Duke should be attacking them? Well, first of all, uh, they, they, they lost LeGerald Vick and, and Dedrick Lawson, who were their leading scorers from last year. And, and uh, especially Lawson was the heart and soul of last year's team. But you mentioned it, Azubuke and Dotson. They bring back Udoka Azubuke and Devin Dotson, um, point guard. Those two guys, um, that may be as good an inside-out, one-two inside-out punch as you're going to find on any team in the country this year. Um, Duke fans will recall Azubuke because he played he played fairly well against um, Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter Jr. a couple of years ago in the NCAA tournament. Dude is a load. I mean, our our freshman big men, uh, Vernon Carey <laughs> uh, and Matthew Hurt, but especially Vernon Carey, is going to get a baptism by fire into college basketball because Azubuke is seven feet tall, 270 pounds. Now, he can't shoot outside of five feet from the basket, but um, he is such a load. He's very nimble in the post. He will dunk, dunk, dunk on you all day long. He gets tons of rebounds. He takes up a ton of space. He blocks a lot of shots. Um, I think it's a really, really tough matchup for Carey on day one. Um, I, I think you're going to see in Duke's first game a lot of Javin Delorier trying to keep Azubuke off the boards, trying to keep him. Um, what Azubuke does is he he sits down in the post and um, with that huge body of his, they feed him the ball and he's just he's really nimble and he, he's he's very quick and adept at getting to the basket and dunking in your face. Um I, I actually think there's an argument. The best defense against Udoka Azubuke is to foul him. Dude is the worst free throw shooter. He may be the worst free throw shooter, not just in all of college basketball, but in like the past five or 10 years in college basketball. Not he, true he, because Dre, Andre Drummond played college basketball. <laughs> Azubuke hits barely a third of his free throws. Um, and, and like in preseason, like you'd think, oh, maybe he worked out in the offseason. In preseason, in their two exhibition games, he was one of nine on free throws. So between Javin and Jack White and Vernon Carey and Matthew Hurt, that's, that's 20 fouls we could use. And I, I would be all in favor of putting this guy on the line rather than letting him dunk on our butts because he will so, do that a lot. So to that end, Jason, how many minutes do you think Vernon Carey gets given that he's probably not ready to guard Doke for 25 or 30 minutes a game yet. And that you think that we need to be subbing guys around to, to commit more of those fouls. Does that mean we're not going to see very much Vernon carry on Tuesday? Yeah, I, I would say Carey's going to get about maybe 15 to 18 minutes in this game. Um, and, and, and look, the other thing is it's going to weigh on him. He's going to be leaning on as bouquet, 270 pounds that that's tiring. And, and, you know, we know conditioning is an issue for Vernon Carey. Um, but but I, I, I want to also talk about Devin Dotson. Um, this is a kid who thought about the NBA draft, put his name in the draft, um, probably wouldn't have been a first rounder. Um, so he went ahead and pulled his name out. Um, he's going to be Kansas's leading scorer this year. Incredibly explosive off the dribble. Not not a great outside shooter. Um, he, he, he hit 36% from three, which is good, but he only took about two and a half threes per game last year. Um, and he's not like a, a superstar passer. He he can he's not a bad passer, but he's not like a great passer. But this is a guy who is incredible at getting around the edge on you, getting into the lane, finishing you know short runners and things like that, um, hitting a lot of pull ups. And his matchup with Trey Jones and Jordan Goldwire, 
wow, it's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, we're talking about one of the better point guards in the country, offensive, um, you know, in terms of getting his own points. Um, and I think matching him, matching him up against Trey is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I know Donald has been looking at the big men for Kansas, so I just wanted to really quick mention um, they have a sophomore guard who's going to play a big – didn't play a big role for them last year, was a bench player, going to be a starter and going to play a fairly big role for them this year. Um, Ochai Agbaji, um, who has been – he was absolutely lights out in their two exhibition wins. He averaged 20 points per game in their two exhibition wins so far, um, hitting a ton of three-pointers. And I think he's going to play a big role for them. This is a deep Kansas team. And um, Donald, t- t- I know you looked into their big men. That they've got a lot of depth on the front line, don't they? They do. And you, you talked about Azabuki, but they also have Silvio D'Souza, David McCormick. And those guys are going to play a lot to the point where Mitch Lightfoot, who actually was one of their main pl- main guys in the front court last year, just announced yesterday he's planning to redshirt this season. So uh, this is going to be a big test for Vernon Carey. I will say about Azabuki, there's two things that you mentioned, uh, and there's one thing that you didn't about Azabuki. You mentioned the fact that he is very nimble in the front court, inside the paint. You also mentioned that he is a terrible free throw shooter, but he also gets into foul trouble a lot. He averages 17 point or 17 minutes a game because he's A, either in foul trouble, or B, tired. Uh, and so really... This is going to be a big test for Vernon Carey, Javon Delorier, and the rest of the front court. The X factor is going to have to be Matthew Hurt and his versatility. He's going to have to be able to guard uh, Azabuki at times to kind of take the pressure off of uh, Carey and Delorier. He's going to—I mean—he's a good shot blocker, and so on offense, we got to find someone who can at least pull him not all the way. He's not going to leave the paint, but he's going to—you can pull him somewhat away from the paint because some of our guys like to attack the rim, and they're not and just like we did two years ago in the, in the elite eight against Kansas, we can't just go right at him every single play because he's going to eat, you know, eat a bunch of shots for lunch. So if we can get him into foul trouble, get him tired, he gets out of the game and D'Souza and McCormick are also very solid players, but they're not on the level of Azabuki. And I think Kerry and Delore will have the edge when those two guys are in the game. Right. They're, they're solid, but not special. Azabuki is special. Is Correct. there any, is there any risk that uh, for D'Souza that he's going to have a, uh, down year now that his salary's been cut. <laughs> you I'll, never uh, know, man. You never I'll, know. I'll 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 take myself offline after that. No, I <laughs> I'll say that I'm I'm uh, I'm most excited to see um, how each of the freshmen stack up against some of Kansas's more experienced players. Um, we talked about uh, Azubuki and Dotson as sort of being the um, the best members of that team, but but there's there is experience up and down this lineup, and I want to see how how guys like Carrie and hurt and uh, Stanley and, and more perform when the lights are on and they're at Madison square garden. You know, we asked Vernon Carey a few weeks ago about what he was excited about. And he said, that this is the, this is the game he's been looking forward to. Obviously it's the first game of the season. So he should be, you know, if he's focused one day at a time, like they say, he should be more focused on this than he is on Virginia or North Carolina or any of the ACC games, Michigan state, which Duke is going to be playing in a month, but um, this is going to be one that all eyes are on and I'm excited to see, to see how the freshmen perform here. Donald, did you have anything else on, on Kansas? Yeah. So I'm going to make a bold prediction. Um, This is a hot take here. I, I, we should not expect to see Duke win by 38 points this year. Um, 
This is going to be a much closer game. Really? Yeah, Come on. I think it's going to be a much closer game. I mean, I'd love, I'd love that. I'm going to the game, so it'd make for a much easier uh, time without uh, a lot of Maalox or anything like that. But uh, we shouldn't expect it. It should be a. It's probably going to be a closer game. And I think, like I said, I think that front court is the edge. And, and like you guys have said, the veterans that Kansas has are going to be, you know, that that test is going to be really. I mean, right up front for our freshmen. We'll see how they react to it. Yeah, I mean, Kansas probably has maybe one freshman who's going to be like in their top seven or eight guys. Um, it, it is going to be they're going to be a way more, way more experienced team. They even brought in a a, a fifth year senior, a, you know, a transfer. I I said last week, and I want to repeat it again so everyone hears it and understands it. Um, we're used to Duke teams that peak early. I think this will be a Duke team that peaks late, and um, don't be surprised if there are games coming out of the gate where we don't look like what we expect Duke teams always to look like. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this game, but uh, I think it's going to be important for our guys to, uh, to play against this level caliber of team caliber of athletes, experienced athletes to understand what they need to work on, what they need to get better at. Does it sound like I'm predicting we're going to lose? Kind of sounds like I'm predicting. We're I do it, it sounded dark, but we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll just whistle by the graveyard on that one. There um, you go. But I I did want to um, to transition to one other um, to one other interesting topic before we get to the prediction game. So I mentioned earlier that we were going to talk a bit of recruiting. Duke had another player join the squad for the 2020-2021 season. That is center Mark Williams. He committed to Duke on Friday um, via an announcement on Twitter, as well as updating some of the recruiting services. Um, I think the the most fun fact about Mark Williams leading into his uh, leading to his recruitment is that his older sister, Elizabeth Williams, of course, was a was a star a women's basketball player at Duke who graduated a few years ago. But I want to know a little bit more about how he fits into the class. I know that he's not um, he's not the highest ranked center. I think he's about the fifth ranked center in the class probably not expecting to be a one and done, but certainly has high expectations of himself. Right, Donald? Yeah. And, and really, I like uh, I like the fact that when he was talking about his recruitment, he basically said that Duke was his home all along. And, you know, UCLA and a couple other schools made a late push. But really that draw, you know, he said the draw in the, in the family, the brotherhood was really what, you know, drew him to uh, Durham, just like his sister. And, and, and as you mentioned, his sister was uh, not just a star player for Duke. He was, she was a legendary player. Her, her, her number is in the rafters. So he will walk into Cameron every day and look up in the rafters and see his sister's number and name there. And probably that is that a tie that, you know, would not be, you know, in, no other school could ever beat. And I think that is uh, really good, but really this guy is, I mean, he's big, he's fast. Uh, seven feet tall, 230 pounds. He, he can guard, you know, some smaller players too. And I think that, you know, again, it seems like coach K is going after some of these guys that can do more than just one or two things. And for a seven footer to be able to run the floor fast and, and finish at the rim, those sort of things are going to be very useful next year. And this, you know, this current state of college basketball versatility is going to win all the time. And I like that we have this guy who may not be the best in the class at his size, but he is one of the most versatile for his size. So I think that is going to be something I'm looking forward to next year. Jason, what do you got? In the in some of the highlights that I watched of him, Donald, I, I saw that that rim running that you were talking about. 
And that is exciting to me to see, you know, not that Vernon Carey is not going to be a pretty versatile big man, um, but seeing a seven footer who can run the length of the court and finish in transition like that, I think is going to be an exciting player, even if he even if it, it's sort of slow for him to get started at Duke, given that he's not coming in as one of the the top, top dogs, right? And with one of some of these guys that we have on this current team that we expect to maybe be back next year, like a Cassius Stanley, maybe even a Wendell Moore or someone like that, those guys that transition, that transition game that we saw like the last couple of years, that could be in full effect next year as well. Jason, yeah, anything I, else on on Mark Williams? Yeah, Williams just loves to run the floor. He's very, very athletic. Um, a po- you know, even at seven feet, he's a pogo stick. So he he gets up there and and he's going to block shots for you and play good defense. He's not 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 polished on offense, but that's okay because dunking is really easy to do, and that's mostly what he does. Uh, I, Speak for I, yourself, he, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he plays at IMG Academy um, out of Florida which is um, a, a truly elite um, high school program, um, you know, probably one of the, certainly one of the top two, top three high school programs in the country. They, they travel around a lot um, playing the other top high school programs. Um, uh, he played on, on the Boo Williams AAU team, which is one of the truly elite AAU teams. This is a guy who has been playing alongside the very best players in his class for a while. And uh, by the way, uh, Duke recruit Jalen Johnson also plays at IMG. So uh, they know each other and they're going to um, uh, they're going to develop, you know, chemistry in high school that will hopefully continue when they when they get to college. But uh, the, the bottom line of Mark Williams is that he's someone who I think will come to Duke prepared to do what he is capable of doing. And it'll take time for him to develop other skills, of course. But um, he's going to be impactful from day one on defense, um, uh, grabbing rebounds and and being a presence in the post. Uh, although, you know, don't expect to see him with the kind of moves of, of Vernon Carrier or Matthew Hurt. But that's OK. He'll develop that stuff in time. Really good recruit. And Duke needed a post player. We really needed a post player because, you know, if you look at the guys we have on this year's team, um, White and Delorier are both graduating, and most people think that Carey and Hurt will be one and done. Uh, there, there isn't even an Antonio Rankovic, Rankovic, or, or or even a Justin Robinson, you know, waiting, waiting in the wings. All those guys by next year will be gone. Um, there's, you know, like there was no one. It was looking like there was no one on the roster for next year over six eight. Um, and so now we have Mark Williams, um, and uh, you know he's going to get time from day one. Uh, because of the need for for a guy with his skills to protect the rim and grab the rebounds and get out there and run, 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 which is what he does. So Williams is the sixth guy to verbally commit to Duke in this class. I think National Signing Day is coming up, so they'll all be able to sign those early letters of intent pretty soon. But uh, don't think that this is the end of recruiting news for Duke, because we all know that this stuff can all be fluid uh, into the winter and then even into the spring and summer as you know, transfers inevitably happen, early entry happens. Uh, all of this stuff is is cool to look at. So we'll we'll look up in the summer and see if Mark Williams is still the the expected big man on next year's team. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you as always by Bird Campbell PA 
we have a special message this week um, from from Tucker Bird. Uh, they'd like to uh, send a special shout out to Bruce Bell, their former roommate, who is currently on the mend. He was the only senior on Duke's 1978 Final Four team, nicknamed Forever's Team. Bruce, who Phil Ford once publicly proclaimed was the toughest defender he ever faced, went from walk-on to starter, a rare feat at Duke. And before Duke's program earned the appellation The Brotherhood, Bruce Bell was one of its favorite sons. So we uh, have best wishes from Bird Campbell and from us at DBR to Bruce Bell. We also reached out to one of his former teammates, a name that Duke fans will remember, Jim Spinarkle. So here is Jim Spinarkle's best wishes for Bruce Bell. Hi, Bruce. I know you never had speed on the basketball court, but I did want to take a minute just to wish you a speedy recovery from your recent surgery. Hang in there and get well soon. But by, by, by the way, folks should know, uh, uh, when, when we spoke to Jim Spinarkle and he gave us this message uh, for Bruce Bell, wishing, wishing Bruce a, a recovery from you know the stuff that's going on with him, um, uh, I, I asked Jim, I said, hey, can you come be a guest on the podcast? And, and Jim is going to be a guest on the podcast. We're going to wait a few weeks for the college basketball season to get going so that, you know, Jim has some really meaningful observations for all of us uh, about what he's seen in college basketball this thus far this season. Um, Jim, of course, does um, NCAA tournament games for CBS Sports. Um, he's a, you know, a very well-known broadcaster and, and observer of the college game. And we're thrilled that he could give us that message. And we're also thrilled that he um, will be on the podcast in a few weeks. So be on the lookout for that. All right, guys, we've done all the stuff you expected, and it is now early November, which means, and it's the DBR podcast, which means we have to play the annual Duke basketball stats prediction game, which yep. we rolled out a few years ago in surprise, um, but now it is it's planned. the most wonderful time of the year. Because <laughs> basketball, <laughs> basketball season is here, and uh, who, so we have who, to make predictions who won that will last go year? wrong. Who was huh? the champion last year? Uh, I, it wasn't I me. I don't remember. It wasn't me. I, we I still this guy. <laughs> we still haven't. We still haven't purchased the the Joey Trophy that we promised that we would. So that's uh, oh yeah. That's that's on the list of things to do. We'll get around to it. I promise. So anyway, to jump right in because we have a number of topics that we need to cover this year. We will start with the most points scored. So last year, R.J. Barrett scored 100 or sorry, 860 points for Duke, um, followed closely by Zion Williamson. That is a ton. We do not expect anyone on this team, I think, to score 860 points. But, Donald, who have you got for most points scored this season? I think a lot of these are going to be interesting. Um, and this pick for me was interesting. I'm going to go with Matthew Hurt. All right. I, I had the same guy. Jason, are you going to make it three for three? Yeah, I, I, I thought about it a lot. I think on a lot of these categories, Donald alluded to this, we're going to have different choices and you could go a bunch of different ways. Uh, points is Matthew Hurt. Uh, all right. So how about rebounds? Last year, RJ Barrett led the team. He's obviously gone. Jason, why don't you kick this one off? Uh, again, there were two or three guys I considered, but I went with Vernon Carey. Donald, are you also Vernon Carey? I am also Vernon Carey. We are not interesting for the first two oh, no. for the first two categories. Oh. All right, block shots. Maybe this one will be different. Uh, I'll I'll start. I I took Vernon Carey, although I think you could make a a good argument for Matthew Hurt or Javin Delorier or even 
um, Cassius Stanley in this area, just given his athleticism. Uh, Jason, who do you have? I've got Javin Delorier. And Donald? I also have Delorier. Whoa. All right. So our first category where we have some difference of opinion. Uh, so that's great. Here's one that won't be competitive. Most nope. assists. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, who are you taking for most assists? Is it uh, Jordan Goldwire? No, it is Trey Jones. <laughs> it is Trey Jones. I also have Trey Jones. Trey Jones had led the team last year with 192 assists. Uh, we expect him likely to do the same this year. All right, here's one that I am interested to hear your opinions on. Most steals on the team. Jason, who have you got? Who's going to lead the team in steals this year? Well, like you said, I, I truly think there are three, maybe even four guys that you can consider for this. I, I actually considered Matthew Hurt for this, believe it or not. Um, but I, I went with Trey Jones. Donald, are you also Trey Jones? No, uh, I, I consider a lot of people and mind you, uh, Jason, last year Zion led this category and yeah, Trey yeah. Jones, I believe was second, uh, in this category, but I'm going with someone who I think is going to get enough points to get that number up there. Jordan Goldwire. That's a All good right. pick. That's a good pick. Look, I, I had the same, I, I was down to the same two guys. I also considered Stanley here. Um, just because mm-hmm. I think that he could he could develop into such a into such a lane crusher for Duke and Wendell Moore honestly has has similar expectations. I ultimately am taking Trey Jones just because I think he's going to get the most minutes of that group. So yeah. the opportunities are going to be there for him. All right, highest field goal percentage and the limit here is that um, he has to make at least one field goal per game. So if Duke plays thirty five games this season, this player has to have attempted at least. 35 field goals so it can't be um mike buckmeyer came in and, and scored one field goal so i i will start this one off i have vernon carey here although i think there are a few different interesting uh, offensive players on this team and i think generally i'm i'm high on carey's potential and i'm sort of expecting him to round into form fairly quickly donald who do you have here for highest field goal percentage i'm gonna go with the reigning champion javin delurier and and Jason, yeah, Javin Delorier. Okay, I, in fact, I, I think it won't be that close. Uh, Zion Zion did pretty well in, in field goal percentage that last season too. So, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but yeah. he's uh, he plays for the Pelicans now, so he's he's not not eligible. All right, um, similar category, but highest three point percentage. And instead of one made uh, three point field goal per game, we're going down to half of a made field goal per game. So if Duke plays thirty four games. Uh, this player will have had to have made at least 17 threes. Jason, why don't you kick this one off? Alex O'Connell. Okay. He said he was, he, he said he felt really good earlier uh, in the off season about his three point shooting. Donald, do you agree? Uh, I agree, but I picked Matthew hurt. Oh, I had the same as Donald. I've got Matthew hurt here. I, I think that he, uh, he's got the, he's got the size that Alex O'Connell doesn't have, which I think helps with the, with him getting over some of some of the defenders. All right, um, we're gonna By get the way, to a the, few... none of us. None of us taking Joey Baker, despite him, you know, like raining threes the other day. Look, this is another one of those interesting categories, and Joey Baker might surprise us. Um, we'll I get think that to would be a our good thing if he surprises. We'll get to our first uh, individual player category here. I think one that Duke fans are most anxious to see, based on last year's performance, and that's Trey Jones's three point percentage. So last year, Trey Jones hit 26.2% of his three-point field goal attempts. I think Duke fans are hoping that that number comes up this year, given 
how much Trey is going to have the ball. So Donald, what do you think Trey Jones's three point percentage is going to be this season? So I think the number of shots, uh, three point shots that he takes is going to go down uh, because I think he's going to use his ability to drive through the lane and, and distribute or score that way. Uh, but I do think it's going to come up. Uh, I picked a nice, healthy 35%, which is a pretty big number and a big leap for him. But I also don't think he's going to wow, take that 35%. many more shots. 35% because it's, if, if you t- if you reduce the number of shots but make more of them, you're, it's going to be a higher percentage. So that's why I'm going with 35%. You're All right, so Jason. good at math, Donald. You're right about that. <laughs> um, I, I have the same digits that Donald does, but not in the same order. I am 53%. <laughs> no, I'm at 30.5, 30.5, a little tiny bit above 30% for Trey Jones this year. All right. I'm going to take the, I had 31 written, so I'm just going to take in between the two of you. Um, That's no fair. <laughs> just because you, you go third, how come, uh, are we alternating who's going first on all yes, these? Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm alternating. Okay. I'm going first you on just, the next one. You just pulled a Price is Right and did one, you know, $1. $1. Higher. Look, okay. I'll, I'll keep $1 31 up. on there. It's effectively the same thing. Um, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep 31 written down and be honest, man, be honest. Honesty is honesty is one of my trademarks. Let's go to, uh, uh, you know what I'm going to, I'm going to say I had total wins written next, but I want to get through the rest of the player specific ones. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, I love one of the other, one of the other players that we have talked a bit about today. And one that we, I think we're really excited about at the end of last season was Jordan Goldwire. Jason mentioned earlier that he expects Goldwire to get some starts this year. So I want to know how many starts do you expect Jordan Goldwire to get? And I will go first. I wrote down that I've got Jordan Goldwire for five starts this season. Jason, who do you have? What do you have? Uh, I, you know, I tried to talk myself into something like eight, but I, I went with four, four starts for Jordan Goldwire. And I, Donald. Start, I think he starts at the beginning of the season, but you know, after a few games, Stanley or Moore or O'Connell or Baker, someone else is going to find their way into that starting lineup. Donald? So I thought I was being low here, but I, I went with seven. My rationale is there's going to be a stretch in the middle of the season where some of the players just aren't cutting it defensively. And to spark the team and, and to maybe, you know, kind of – get everybody motivated, Jordan Goldwire starts a few games here and there. So I think it's seven. All right. Uh, so we can, got... can I say right now, I think Donald's going to win this category. I don't. Uh, I don't think that. <laughs> I think I'm going to win this category. Uh, I'm confident, I appreciate I'm confident your in, my own, Jason. in my own skills here. All right. Uh, another, another player that we have talked about today who showed out on Wednesday night, uh, Joey Baker, who played almost no minutes last year and burned his red shirt for reasons that I don't think we ever made entirely clear from the coaching staff. How many minutes is Joey Baker going to play this season? Uh, Donald, why don't you take this one first? Uh, so I went with a big number because last time we did this, it was for Jack White, and Jack White just blew everybody's expectations away. So I'm going to go 400 minutes. 400 for Donald. Pretty big number, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, hope Jason, we, I hope he makes it. Jason, what do, you, what do you have for Joey Baker's minutes this season? Uh, I did nine minutes times 33 games is 297. Also kind of a big number uh, just based on his play last year and in yeah. the crowded court. I'm, I'm lower on, on expectations for Joey Baker just because there are so many other guys who are available. So I went with uh, 174, uh, which is a number that I 
thought sounded funny. <laughs> um, reasons reasons unknown. I'm still looking down my list of um, of uh, player specific ones, and then we'll come back and do kind of the team ones. So uh, here's one that uh, here's one that I, I think we had as the Marquise Bolden total three pointers oh, last year no, no. <laughs> because he because I think he he shot a couple of them like in the preseason. And there was some talk that Coach K was going to let him shoot some three-pointers. So uh, in memory of Marquise Bolden, now NBA player Marquise Bolden, um, let's do D-league. Vernon. D-League. He, he has- D-League. D-League player Marquise Bolden. Let's do Vernon Carey's total three-pointers for this season. Jason, give it to me. So last year, was it 12? Did I say 12? Yeah, you had 12. Marquise <laughs> Bolden. And, and the number ended up being zero, I believe. The number ended up being exactly zero, yes. I yes. won that category because I just yeah. picked the lowest number. Um, I This may be crazy, but I went with seven. Seven Vernon Carey threes this year. I took five. So I don't, I, I don't think you're out of the range. Donald, what do you have? Take six, Donald. Come on, split the difference. No, I I, I will remain true to what I wrote down because I literally have been going back and forth. Uh, Vernon Carey is going to take more threes than Marquise Bolden probably did in an entire career uh, this season. Uh, And I think he's going to hit eight of them. Okay. You boxed me in. So Jason's got the so Jason's got the I gotta hit it on the button. All right. Hey, this is how we play the game. (laughs) Let's let's talk about um we're we're jumping around according to the list that I sent you guys, but I think this is a more logical order for our listeners. Um, so we've been talking about the players. I want to think about um, about the walk-ons now. Um, we have three walk-ons on the team this season, Mike Buckmeyer, um, Keenan Worthington, and of course, uh, Michael Savarino. Can, How can many we, points? Uh, wait, I would like to clarify something. Yes. Mike Buckmeyer is on scholarship. But he's a walk-on. Okay. All right. So... Uh, he's not walk on is a distinction from recruited player. Um, Correct. Uh, and, and true walk on as opposed to Justin Robinson's preferred walk on status. Right. Okay. okay. So, I was also going to clarify whether Justin Robinson, but Justin Robinson does not count as a walk on for the purposes of this question. How many total points will the walk on score this year? 19 points for the walk ons in total. Donald, what do you have? 27. Uh, so 27 and so Sam, Sam had 19, Donald Jason. had 27. Um, uh, so I would like to point out now that you guys have registered your picks that coach K has said that Savarino and Worthington will both redshirt this year and that they will not play in any games. Uh, I believe that Mike Buckmeyer, who I, I, I want to say has, does he have three points total in his career so far? Something like that. He's not He's gonna he get 27. <laughs> <laughs> I went with, with five points for Mike Buckmeyer this year. So five points for the walk-ons. All right. Um, I Red shirts can be broken. I think that you, you never know how, how things are going to shape up this season. That's why <laughs> the game say, is fun. In that exhibition game, when Savarino stepped to the free throw line and sunk his two free throws and the, the camera cuts over to Coach K, and he looked misty. I, I, he, he looked like he was ready to, 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 to cry. That was a big moment for him. That was very sweet. But I don't think we're going to see that moment again this year. <laughs> maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe we're looking at next year. All right. Um, I want to know. So we, we've been talking about depth on this team and, and the rotation. Um, we, I tried to, to come up, or the three of us tried to come up with a, with a good metric for what constitutes being in rotation. We took a look at some of last year's minutes. Um, and I think the, the threshold we set is 
playing at least 150 minutes on this team qualifies you for being in rotation. So if the team plays 30 games, that's five minutes a game. Uh, it, it's actually somewhat of a low bar, but given injuries and and what have you, um, that's the number we settled on. So how many players do you think this season will play at least 150 minutes, Jason? I, I think we said last year was eight. Um, and this year, I think I believe it will be 10. There will be 10 players to play 150 minutes. And I'm I'm you know, there's a piece of me, boy, just J Rob. I'm, I'm thinking about going 11, but, but I went with 10. All right, Donald. I went 11 because I do think J Rob is going to just get 150 minutes. I, I went with nine because I, I think that, um, I need to hedge against coach K's promise of, of guys getting minutes. So here I am predicting good health, um, for everyone, which means that someone's getting squeezed out of the rotation. I don't know who it is, but, but it is, it is somebody. All right. Um, let's do, uh, let's do another, um, another fun team one. Um, how many total wins is Duke going to have this season? And I, I went back and looked, um, just to confirm for the audience here are Duke's win totals from the last uh, five seasons going backwards. So last year, 32, 35, 25, 28, and 29. I put, I, I think that this team has uh, a fair bit of learning to do early in the season, I think they're still pretty talented and and should uh, make a run in the NCAA tournament. So I went with 29 wins. Um, Jason, what do you have here? I went with 30, 30 wins. And Donald? Uh, the always optimist in me put 32. 32 would be, I think, a good, I think a good season for this team. All right. And, and on that, uh, on that wins prediction, um, Duke plays 11 true road games this season. Um, early in the season, they've got games at Michigan State and at Virginia Tech. And then, of course, some of the other traditional hard ones like North Carolina and Virginia. Um, Donald, let me let me get your prediction first. How many total true road wins is Duke going to have this season? Uh, simply for me to get to 32 wins, you're going to have to win on the road. And so I put seven. <laughs> All right, Jason. That actually doesn't seem like that high a number. Seven? Seven out of 11. I mean, we don't have that many games, so. Jason, what do you got? I I also went with seven. I took six. Um, I, I I think there's there's more of a learning curve for this team than than we're expecting. All right. Um, speaking of speaking of some of our opponents from this season, how many teams from the ACC do you guys think are going to make the tournament? And looking at the, I, I sort of took a look at the Ken Palm ratings for early in the season. Um, there are a lot of teams that are kind of bunched at the top and a number of ACC teams that are right around in the, in the fifties in Ken Palm, which is right where the, where the bubble sort of ends. So I think this, this is a number that you could have pretty low or pretty high. I went with nine teams. Um, Jason, what did you have? Nine's a big number. I went with seven. And Donald. I also went with seven because as even last year and years before when we have said, Hey, maybe nine, 10 teams, it usually just funnels around that six, seven, eight range. I think that this year the the like ACC has a number of teams that are right near the top in the preseason rankings, but all of Duke, Virginia, North Carolina have unanswered Louisville. questions, and the and Louisville have have sort of Louisville to a lesser extent. I think the other programs have a little bit of um, prestige, like program sheen on them that is inflating their rankings, and none of those teams are actually going to be quite as sort of elite as as their preseason rankings merit, which means there are I think there are more opportunities for the the pits of of the ACC to snag 
wins in conference that that they otherwise wouldn't expect to get. So that, that's why I was sort of leaning high on ACC teams in the tournament. All right. We're going to do Donald Wine's favorite category. He overpromises on this one every season. <laughs> Donald, how many 100-point games is Duke going to have this year? Come on, man. Ten. Pick ten Let's again. So, so we, if we win a national championship, that means we're going to have 40 games. Yes. Around 40 games. Let's, like. start, let's start with that. <laughs> so I will go on record saying that it will not be 40. Okay. There's going to be one or two games. Oh, so we'll start. So we'll <laughs> we'll start by anchoring on the high end, which is 40. 40. But it's not going to be 40. It's going to be two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> two games. Uh, I've got I've got Duke scoring 100 points in zero games this season. Jason? I, I have two also. I, I was hoping I was hoping that Donald was gonna pick some embarrassing number and instead he picked the right number. <laughs> two. Uh I'm 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 going none. I uh I think this team's got a lot to learn. I of course they'll they'll surprise in one of these. You I'll, know, I'll tell you games. why you're the reason you're wrong is that this this team is really deep. And so that in games where we're where we're winning by a lot against overmatched opponents and you think, oh, we're putting in the scrubs, our scrubs are still gonna be really good. And we'll we get one see. in the we'll get one in the early rounds of the NCAA tournament, I believe. We shall see, my friend. All right. So so that was that was the uh, first seventeen items on the stats prediction game. We have one item left, and it's one that I'm I want to use as the tiebreaker because it's a um, I don't think any of us are going to get the number exactly right. Um, and in the spirit of how much we love the Ken Palm rankings, I asked you guys to pick what is going to be Duke's uh, defensive ranking on Ken Palm as of selection Sunday. So at the end of the, at the end of the, the season before the regular, before the NCAA tournament starts, we know from years past that the NCAA tournament, because of the elimination nature has a way of warping teams, um, Ken Palm rankings. So we'll check this one on, you know, at, at the end of selection Sunday, what is do and, and because we, we feel like there's such a range of potential defensive outcomes for this team, obviously being led by Trey Jones, but having a number of freshmen in key spots. So Donald, I'll start with you. What do you think Duke's defensive rank is going to be on Ken Palm on selection Sunday? So I think we're oh, going to be a really sorry. One more, one more set of context. Um, mm-hmm. The last five years worth of Ken Palm defensive ranks last season, Duke was, uh, or yeah, last season, Duke was sixth in Ken Palm in defense. Then going back seven, 39, 110 and 57. It has been, all over the board for Coach K's teams the last couple of years. So Donald, let me get let me get that number from you. So I, I think we are going to be a very good defensive team by the end of the season. Uh, and so for that reason, I think we end at eight. Eight at uh, on eight the defensive ranking. Jason, what do you have? I have us at five. I think I agree. We're going to be a very very good defensive team. Um, and so I'm going five. I took a I took a slightly more conservative approach and said that Duke is going to end the season ranked twelfth in Ken Palm defense. So hey, why um, why why are we not doing Ken Palm offense also? I don't know. Defense seemed seemed more interesting and and more variable. Um, offense okay. for Duke, I feel like is always, we're always you know we're always, it's always, always one, two, <laughs> pretty five, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, shooting is still a question for this team, but um, but somehow even in years like even last year when when Duke had no good three point shooters. 
they still ended up with a great offense. Obviously, there well, were a lot Zion of dunks. Zion and RJ right. basically scored every time they got in the paint. But they, but but Duke figures this out every season. So yeah. uh, defense is the one I I personally not, find more interesting. We're never going to be winning games no forty five to forty three. We're going to be winning games like <laughs> yeah, we're not Wisconsin ninety to eight, ninety to eighty or something like that. <laughs> great. Uh, we still play in the ACC and not in the Big Ten. And you know what? I am happy about that. So that is the stats prediction game. We will update at the end of the season. Uh, Jason's got the got the is the reigning champion, but um, we are we are all very Maybe interested we'll- in in taking him down. So uh, we'll post the the list of predictions on uh, the discussion thread for this podcast. And if folks want to um, plug their own, their own guesses for any of these things, um, please feel free. We'll move to parting shots for this episode, which this week we, we decided that there were, there were too many topics. So as a general parting shot, um, we want to just each share each of our takes on the recent news that the NCAA is now moving in the direction, perhaps, of um, figuring out how to allow players to profit from their name, image, and likeness. Um, so the the news was was not definitive this week, but it was sort of the the first movement of of turning the ship in a different direction. Donald, what did you think of the NCAA's announcement? and perhaps some of the commentary around it that came out last week and over the weekend. Donald is on mute, so you can't hear him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, should I take it? Uh, hey, th- I'm, I'm this here. means I'm I get here. to go first. I get, no, I no, get no. to go first. No, no, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Don- I'm okay. Here. <laughs> I'm um, I think we have to approach this conservatively because there's a lot of context behind what they announced. They announced one that they were going to enter the process of looking at it, but they also said it was going to be in a way that was fit with the collegiate model. Yeah. What does that mean? What it means is they want to do it in a way that still allows them to take money from players and profit off their likeness too. And I think there's going to be, there's going to be some rules that are implemented that say, oh, yeah, on his face, yeah, you guys can do what you want. Accept this, not that, not that over there. You can't deal with these things. You can't deal with those things. There's going to be some things about, like, probably who they can approach, how they can be approached. It, there's a lot to figure out. And I well, think – By the way, I, really quick, I predict they are not going to allow the players to sell, to profit off of jerseys that have the school's name on the front and the player's name on the back. I, so I think that's probably like the one thing that they're going to try and aim for. And I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't know if they're going to get it. There's also stuff like, you know, could it be a furniture store? Could it be a beer product or a liquor, liquor sponsor? If they're over 21, those sort of things are going to be all questions that they have to, you know, write down and codify. And the problem is the NCAA is just terrible at doing that. And that's why I don't really hold out hope that, they're going to really approach this in the right way. Um, and, and really when it comes to, this is all the result of this pressure from all these states that are passing laws or considering laws that allow these players to profit. And the, the object of this is to make it so that every single school has the same opportunity to get these players and have them come in and profit off their likeness. But also it's not going to stop there. Where is it? You know, they're going to have to draw a line somewhere because there's going to be about Revenue sports versus non-revenue sports. Male sports versus w- uh, women's sports. 
there's going to be these questions that the NCAA, they're like, oh, we'll just go ahead and tackle those. They can't. They can't handle academic scandals. Like, what do we? Why do we think they're going to come up with the perfect solution to this? And that's why I hold out hope that I, I, I remain pessimistic that this is really going to change much. Uh, but I also think that is going to be state laws that kind of force the NCAA's hand in this. When schools can then come out and say, "Hey, our state has this. This other state doesn't." Come to you know, insert school. Uh, so. Let me start by saying this. Um, this NCAA move was very expected. Uh, a lot of people were surprised by it. But back in May, the NCAA said they were the, the Board of Governors said they were setting up a working group to work on this. So everyone expected this to happen. And the concern is the weird thing is the NCAA, when it happened, the NCAA actually didn't announce anything of substance they essentially kicked the can down the road. They said, yeah, we're going to do this. We just haven't figured out how we're going to do it yet. And so there was a lot of commentary and a lot of people who were very disappointed that the NCAA didn't explain what the model for, for allowing players to profit off of, off of their likeness and endorsements and things like that. They didn't explain how it was going to work. But here's the reality. We, are, we, we live in a nation where governments, where politicians don't get things done very easily. They have trouble agreeing on anything. This is an issue that they agree upon. Both sides of the aisle and all the people who support either side of the aisle agree that something needs to be done about athletes being allowed to profit off of endorsements and their likeness. So when California passed this legislation allowing athletes to make money off of endorsements and then a flurry of other states said they were going to do the same thing, the die was essentially cast for the NCAA at that point. Whatever the NCAA comes up with is going to have to match those state laws because the NCAA is not going to be in the business of running postseason tournaments that exclude teams from six or eight or 16 states. They're not going to go, gonna... hey, yeah, they're not gonna go, hey, here's the NCAA tournament minus everyone from uh, everyone who plays for a school in California, New Jersey, Florida, and Ohio. That would be absurd. It wouldn't make any sense. The NCAA is not going to do that. The NCAA rules are either going to match what the most aggressive state puts in place or this is going to end up in court and every legal expert who looks at this says the the courts are probably not going to side with the NCAA so there there that sort of takes us then to the world where this absolutely exists and where payers can, players can be paid and there are a lot of folks who worry that we're going to create some kind of unnatural market where rich alumni will pay top-tier players way too much. And I was very worried about this as well, but I've come around, and I actually think this just means the kids are going to make what they're worth. And where there may be an initial orgy of rich alums tossing absurd sums of money trying to buy players for their teams, I suspect that'll calm down after a year or two. It may not even take a year or two for it to calm down, and we will settle into a system where they're really – isn't a huge difference in what the top tier player makes at school A versus school B versus school C, provided school A, B, and C are all big schools and big programs. Yeah, guess what? The the NCAA is already an unfair playing field, right? Yeah, there's there's right. no chance that smaller schools are going to be able to compete, but they already can't compete. I mean, a player at UNC Asheville or Holy Cross or Elon is not going to make as much as they do at Duke or Kentucky or Ohio State or Alabama. 
And as a result, UNC Asheville and Holy Cross and Elan are not going to be able to compete for a recruit alongside Duke, Kentucky, Ohio State, and Alabama. But they can't compete now. I mean, it's already that way. They already These schools already have the fancy facilities, and they'll have big endorsement dollars. The gulf between the rich and the poor already exists, and this will just be another example of it. So, so Jason, you, you were talking yeah. about – I think a lot of people are focusing on the big recruits, the big-time athletes – but this is really going to open up doors for those athletes that are at schools that may not be the biggest recruit, but they're the most revered at their school. Because the, 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 the process, like, for example, like Jordan Goldwire, he's not a big time recruit, but at Duke, he's loved. He could use that to get some sort of endorsement that may not cater to people in Charlotte, but it will cater to people in Durham. And that is money, too. And I think that's where the NCAA is missing this. They're worried about the Zion Williamson's and the RJ Barrett's and the Azabuki's of the world. But they need to worry about what's going to like they need to make it so that also not only they can take advantage of, but those guys who may be fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh man in the lineup or, you know, the, the third string running back on the field that everyone in that school adores and know that, you know, if if they're saying something that people will go out and buy a product. That's where all this is going to open up. And I think that's where the NCAA just can't handle it. Yeah, I, I am going to remain skeptical that the NCAA is going to do this correctly until they actually show us that they have the infrastructure, not only, you know, from sort of the central office, but also that they have buy-in from some of the big schools about uh, how those schools are going to implement it. And the thing that I've always talked about is, is that, I wish that they could bring all of the what we now think of as like the shady endorsement stuff, bring it in house, have the schools hire agents to to help students navigate that kind of stuff. And it becomes not only a way for the students to make money, the schools probably to continue to make some of that endorsement money and, and perhaps even enlarge the pie by bringing some of that illicit stuff on campus. Um, but then finally, if if the schools are using this as a learning opportunity for the student athletes, that also exists if they're able to do it above board and and having the players kind of manage their their endorsement relationships in the athletic department in the same place that they get their gear and and you know work with academic advisors and, and all the rest. Tim, you hit on the most important aspect of this a moment ago when you were talking about. Uh, I'm really interested in, in you were talking about whether the schools do this for the players or the players do it on their own. Um, I hope that the NCAA is smart enough to say, okay, now that we're opening the floodgates on, on you know, allowing payer, players to be paid, we're also going to allow schools to advise those players and help them navigate this process. To me, that's one of the most important aspects of this that needs to happen. Schools need to be able to set up a department so that when you're recruiting a kid, you're able to say to him, hey, by the way, we're going to navigate you through and help you understand the endorsement opportunities and the likeness opportunities and all that other kind of stuff. We, you know, we have we have sponsors who come to us and then we help vet it and put you in a good situation. I, I think the NCAA absolutely has to allow that to happen or these kids will get taken advantage of. Um, and, and it'll be a wild west. The NCAA doesn't want a wild west where no one can figure this kind of stuff out, um, and, and, you know. That's the danger to me. And then the other thing I wanted to add was um, we keep talking about how the NCAA is going to implement this. Um, I, 
and, and what the NCAA is going to allow. I want to go back and remind folks of something I said earlier that I think the most important thing for everyone to understand about this issue, which is that the NCAA is going to have to allow whatever the states tell them to allow. This is an issue where sort of for the first time in the NCAA's history, the 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 way it's going to work is going to be driven by state legislatures who pass laws. And the NCAA is going to have to either abide by those laws or hope that they can fight it in court. And I think it's a really tough fight for the NCAA in court. So I think uh, throughout all of this, there's going to be one major winner in whatever the NCAA tries to implement. And that is... Uh, the compliance departments at every single school in America, because they're going to have to expand drastically to kind of cater to not only whatever the NCAA puts in, but also what the state legislatures put in and any differences between the two uh, so that everyone is on the same page. And and I feel like this is, again, the NCAA can't, you know, can't do anything right, it seems. And I, I don't really think that they're going to change that, those ways by implementing something so perfect that we won't need a, a compliance department to regulate through all the red tape. So uh, if you are someone interested in compliance, this next couple of years might be interesting for you because there may be some jobs opening. I am uh, taking a class at school next term that, that Duke athletic director, Kevin White teaches on the business of sports. And my understanding is that he focuses more on college athletics than on professional athletics. So really excited for that. <laughs> Uh, is, there any, is there any openings of the Duke Compliance Department? Just uh, let me know. My email is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I imagine there might be coming up soon. Jason, did you want to wrap this this topic? Yeah, up? I was going to say, you know, the, the unknown in all of this that I think is going to be interesting and a little bit scary and weird. So a top tier basketball recruit who is considering Duke in Michigan, for example, and and Duke, I, I actually think that what's going to happen is Duke's going to have a department in place it may be unofficial. It may not officially be part of the university, but there will be a department that will say, hi there, recruit. We we believe that when you come to Duke, we will be able to, uh, to provide endorsement contracts and things like that. They will pay you $250,000 a year. Um, I, I'm really interested in seeing if there's a uh, Michigan department that says, hey, recruit, you know, Duke's offering you two fifty dollars a year. We'll offer you $300,000 a year. I'm going to be interested in seeing if basketball recruits end up going to whoever the highest bidder is, or if they're going to say, oh, no, you know what? 250 is enough. Duke's a better program, a better situation for me than Michigan. I want to play for Coach K. He gets guys to the pros more than Juwan Howard does. I just think that's going to be an interesting twist on recruiting that's going to – and it's going to happen. I mean, that they have sounded absurd, but but that's what that's what's going to happen starting in a couple of years. We're going to crazy. Well, no, what you're saying is totally right. We're finally going to have a lot better data on the value of the Duke brand or the Michigan brand or the Kentucky brand. Um, these yeah, are well, right. That... The other the other side of that is, is Duke going to be able to offer more than Michigan because playing for Duke basketball is just worth more than playing for Michigan basketball? The, these are the these and many more are the questions that we don't have answers to, <laughs> but we will sometime in the future, maybe. So I think that will do it for this week's episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. The season, the basketball season is finally here. So Duke has Kansas on Tuesday night. We will, we will review that after the game sometime. Duke has Notre Dame at home in football next weekend. That could be fun. It also might not be. 
we will see. <laughs> hey, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I want to remind folks. I want We didn't mention this at all. I want to remind folks, while Duke is playing Kansas, everyone else in the ACC is playing everyone else in the ACC. I mean, like, the season starts completely different from how it has yeah. ever started in the past. This is really cool. So so definitely, like, watch college basketball this week. Um, there's, there's no more baseball on TV. So you have no <laughs> – as far as I'm concerned, you have no more excuses. Um, get and the Falcons it. and the Redskins suck. Yeah, whatever. Sure. So the Lions, I, like, you know, add me in there. Yeah. <laughs> don't watch the don't watch the NFL. Don't the watch the NFL. <laughs> uh, uh, watch college basketball. It's good for you. You'll be able to keep hanging out with us here every week at the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Of course, uh, don't forget, you can always get in touch with us by emailing us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions you want to talk about or um, sponsorship opportunities. Um, and Donald, did you have something else? Yes. One last thing, guys. Uh, we know we're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on Google Play. And we are now on Spotify. So if what? you, uh, you want to uh, subscribe on Spotify, oh my God. you can now find us. It guys. took a while, but we were still we were still hoping hoping to get it. And we finally did. So on Spotify eve, people, you can find us. It on only the took eve of our 71 episodes. On the eve yeah, of our it, sixth it, it, it season. It just took a minute. We are now... <laughs> We are now on Spotify. So um, if you've been hanging on to your old podcast app um, just for us, we sure love you, but you don't have to anymore. So that's, we the, got you. that's, that's the good news. Everything is, everything is coming up. DBR podcast. We will talk to you again soon for Jason Evans in Atlanta, for Donald Wine in Titletown, and for me, Sam Klein in Durham. This has been episode 171 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke band, take us home.